it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Filling in today, Harry Hurley with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Guy will be back tomorrow. And a busy news day once again on the Guy Benson Show. Why? Because it always is. You almost don't have to say that anymore. It just seems that we, and I think a lot of it had to do with Trump, actually, because he was 24-7, never sleeps, never stops, and it fired up the pace, I believe, of the news cycles. But there are such consequential things going on that it is not just any one person or any one thing. I mean, you just, just look at today. You look at the last two days, the president of the United States, surprised to Kiev, Ukraine. You have uh, today with the president uh, at the um, the palace uh, with um, the president of Poland and all the different activities that are going on on the world stage. Some are saying, hey, you know, what a what a planned way to launch your campaign, because sometime soon. Make no mistake about it. Some people don't think this is true, but President Biden is running for reelection. Make no mistake about that. Some people think that this is just him waiting and waiting. And because the moment you if you said you're not running, you are lame duck at that moment. You lose any any effectiveness. And then it's just wait for the next person. Notice I didn't say wait for the next guy because it might not be. So many things that are going on. And I was thinking about this minutes before airtime on the Guy Benson Show. World tensions feel like they are reaching a boiling point. When you look at all these things that are piling up, geopolitical threats, the economy, the purchasing power of the American people, hyper runaway inflation, you know, don't don't think because it's come down a bit. It was at 1.4% and wages were increasing by about 2.5%. When you have inflation that's at nine, then now it's at six point something. But I always say don't don't just believe the two indices, the inflation and then the core uh, number, because, for example, eggs are up in the range of 82 percent. I was teasing with a friend, but I was telling the truth. You can basically now you might have to catch a little bit of a sale. But you can basically buy two four-ounce filet mignons, maybe even five-ounce, triple-trimmed even, for less than a dozen eggs. I mean, it's it's really getting crazy. One sort of save at the moment is, you probably have noticed, it depends what part of the country you are listening to the Guy Benson Show, but in many sections of the country, for example, the Northeast, gasoline prices are starting to come down a bit. And some say that is for... A myriad of reasons. But the president and what's been going on certainly leads the um, the program today. And I gave credit 
and I gave unconditional credit to President Biden. Heard from a few people that didn't like it, but I said it's important, though, because if we're going to point out what's wrong, we better also say when something is right, because if we don't do that, I think we lose credibility. Then it's just you're just all bad news all the time. And look, it's a bad news administration. And as I said to all the people that commented that to me, I said, look, there's plenty of bad news that we've been reporting on. And there's plenty of bad news that that we don't even know about yet that will follow. But you do have to look at yesterday as a unique moment where an American president went into a war zone. Now, it's true that uh, they didn't really say out loud. It kind of sort of was out there yesterday, but I wasn't comfortable that it was verified. And I I know how careful everyone at Fox News Radio is about you want to get it right. And if you're not sure, don't say it. It's like anything else. It's not right. Don't do it. If you're not sure, don't do it. Don't say it. So I had heard certain things that Russia had been tipped off, which in some people's quarters makes no sense, right? Because that's the enemy. You would tell the enemy you're flying in to the war zone to our adversary in this war. But that's exactly what happened, and that's no longer in dispute. The planning, and there's excellent reporting in the Wall Street Journal on this. This was this visit was planned months in the making because you can't just pop in, hey, it's me, and, and not tell anyone, not have the American military Because keep in mind, everything the president did while he was there was under different conditions. So you can imagine probably how uncomfortable every everyone from our military to the Secret Service, anyone involved in protection detail of the president of the United States. It's no question when you don't control the security situation and you're relying on others, that is even if you tip off Russia, which we did. And I think that was smart because I don't believe Russia would want to inadvertently because they're really increasing the bombing campaign. If you listen to yesterday's program, John Zarek joined us, who is right in the thick of things. He has been actually in Russia. Mostly he's in eastern Ukraine. And and Poland. So he's not been. um very often involved in the actual theater of war itself. But they have been working on some really important humanitarian work where they're helping people. So he can tell you, you know, he has heard the sirens. Now, I will say that there was a reporter who said, I've been here for six days. I didn't hear one siren. And within 30 minutes of President Biden being on the ground, we heard a siren. But then there was never any um, bomb or anything that, that detonated. So no one knows what to make of that. You can can make of it as you will. It's one person's uh, testimony about what was going on. Some people think that it was a staged siren, and I can't prove that, so I won't say it. But I still look at the visit, and Wyatt and Dan and I talked about this in our pre-show meeting. This is unusual, if not unprecedented. And some people want to look at it very differently than that and see nothing but uh, a staged activity and that there was no danger. Look, if you're in Ukraine, people are getting blown up all the time. We have, we have directly heard from people that can testify to that. 
because we, we've gotten involved through John with some of the people that are on the ground, including the one civilian that the um, Ukraine military will allow to come in. So the planning was done, obviously security, when you're farming it out to a large degree is always uh, something that to, to be concerned about. And uh, they pulled it off. So I, I, I think net-net, you know, if they didn't come right out and say, hey, we tipped off Russia. But they kind of sort of did because we found out about it. It really took me until the end of the program yesterday to feel comfortable with that information. But they kind of sort of told it. And then you look on the whole that the president was there. It supports our ally. He announced a half a billion more in aid. And I, I give points for that. Now, obviously, today, from Ukraine on to uh, Poland uh, was another big day in all of this, because let's face it, if Ukraine loses, I've always believed this. And I think most serious people believe this. Poland is next. And we'll get to it in a couple of minutes, but I want to do a couple of things about the president in Poland first. Russia today, in, in a lengthy speech by Vladimir Putin, has suspended their involvement with the only remaining major nuclear treaty with the United States, and that is the, um, the, the START treaty. So they're out. And then what does that mean? What will they be doing? If they say, hey, we're out, we're not, gonna, we're not going to comply – I never believe any of these. That's why I was so against the Iran uh, deal. And that was not even a treaty because it never went through the Congress. The Congress would never approve that. That was going to be some kind of scam, fake treaty. But Iran would never honor it, and we would. I don't believe Russia honors these things, but we do. So now they say we're out. The New Star Treaty, we're out. Ending, suspending participation. That's not nothing. That is certainly something. Let's listen to the president, what he had to say. Uh, Dan, cut 27. One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kiev. Well, I just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. Kiev stands proud. It stands tall. And most important, it stands free. When Russia invaded, it wasn't just Ukraine being tested. The whole world faced a test for the ages. Europe was being tested. America was being tested. NATO was being tested. All democracies are being tested. And the questions we faced were as simple as they were profound. Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, you, we, would, would we the, all of our allies, would be united or divided? One year later, we know the answer. We did respond. We would be strong. We would be united. And the world would not look the other way. Now, I watched all of this, and some of the words are good. It's not a poorly written speech. For those who think perhaps the president was speaking extemporaneously, I can promise you he was not. I can't tell you if you can sort of tell with President Biden when he goes off the teleprompter because it all changes. The words that are somewhat tight and focused become very different. So he's pretty transparent. He doesn't mean to be, 
but he's pretty obvious when he's off the teleprompter. I didn't notice much of that, and I think he was being very careful about that. Obviously, when you hear him uh, with the, you know, would we be strong? Would we be weak? Would we? Would we be? Would we? I mean, it was. It's hard. It's hard to watch. It's hard to listen. He's a very bad speaker. He's a terrible teleprompter reader. And I'm equal opportunity. Uh, George W. Bush was above average, but I give him a pass because he is dyslexic. That's very, very challenging uh, when things are jumbled up, and, and I don't hold that against him. He was above average. Barack Obama was an excellent teleprompter reading reader. He only got in trouble when he went off the teleprompter. He was excellent. Reagan, the best of all, right down to only wearing one contact. He had it down. When you're watching somebody that doesn't know how to read a teleprompter and it's like a a tennis match or a ping pong match, left, right, left, right, it's really bad. Not to mention President Biden's delivery is terrible. It's not inspiring. The, The audience doesn't know what are the applause lines. I mean, it's it's just very, very challenging. Uh, not good. Not not good at all. Let's, uh, before we get to the break, Dan, let's um, put a little bit of a nice little cap on this, nice little bow, and uh, give Guy's audience a little listen of President Biden today. Cut 30. Appetites of the autocrat cannot be appeased. They must be opposed. Autocrats only understand one word, no, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. President Joe Biden earlier today in Poland and really sounding the alarm how how critical this is. I've been saying it from second one, even when the president was saying this is going to be over in one or two, one or two days and that Ukraine should surrender. It was just terrible, a terrible message, just like it all started because he opened up with uh, saying that, A little incursion is something that he could accept. Well, that opened it up for Russia. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Much more important content and great guests all throughout the program. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan Harry Hurley. Filling in today, Guy will be back tomorrow. Isn't that great? And looking forward to Guy's return. Uh, Honor to fill in for Guy today. Xi Jinping is no joke. Dictator for life, president for life, whatever you want to call him. We had a lot of discussion about him on yesterday's edition of the Guy Benson Show. Uh, Very important content. You should go to the podcast at GuyBensonShow.com if you missed the various interviews. Uh, When China came up, 
Many agree that we are already in a proxy war with China. I almost don't know how you can disagree with that. I'm always persuadable if somebody makes a good case. But, I mean, look at it. Look what we see. We are with Ukraine. And China, who is not with us, make no mistake about that, they are with Russia. To prove it further, the Chinese leader, Xi, is preparing to visit Moscow for a summit with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, in the coming months. Uh, No date is set, but it's being planned and it's going to happen. One of the things from a pure propaganda standpoint that's just nauseating, you listen to Putin saying that that America started this war, which is preposterous. That that is just unserious as unserious gets. He started it. Unfortunately, we, American weakness was projected. Make no mistake about it. And again, I believe most reasonable people. And I mean, at the highest levels to just ordinary citizens that have two eyes and two ears and, and, and see this stuff. I mean, when you saw what was happening in Afghanistan, that we had people being killed, that the Taliban was in charge, that we were getting the military out before we got our people out, that we were leaving tens of billions of dollars worth of very, very elaborate equipment that you don't ever want to be in a position for reverse engineering and things like that. So Russia saw that. That projected significant American weakness. And then, of course, what I think was the absolute clincher was when President Biden went off his cue cards that he usually has in his pocket, and he answered a question when a very good reporter brought up basically a minor incursion. Now, there's no such thing as that. You're in or you're out. You're doing it or you're not. You're at war or you're not. You're at war you might be planning and hadn't started yet. But when the president said that basically he could accept a minor incursion, that was it. Whether he meant it or not, whether he was confused at the time or not, that green-lighted it. No question about it. All right, we've got a lot to talk about right after this brief timeout with Joe Concha, Fox News contributor and a columnist for The Hill, next on The Guy Benson Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Welcome back. It is the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. Yes, it is the Guy Benson Show. And on the Guy Benson Show, Newsmaker Hotline is one of the best in the business. Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. You see him all the time. I'll tell you what, because I'm up early in the morning, I see him on 
uh, Fox and Friends pre-show. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, he, he's, uh, and then I see him later in the day and at night. So he's uh, among the rest of us, like Kilmeade and everybody that never sleep, Guy Benson, everybody. Fox News contributor, columnist for The Hill and author of his new book, Come On, Man, The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. Joe, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. You know, I'm on Hannity tonight. I was on Fox and Friends first today. You're correct yeah. about that, Harry. And I saw I'm you. on Hannity tonight. At, at, thank you. You're, you're, is that from the gym, by the way? Are you gym guy? Where you're up that early or just I, I do, I do I do early morning talk radio. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. So I do that, and then tonight I'm on Hannity, and that's at like 9-something. And then i got to go back on Fox & Friends first tomorrow. And people say, well, are you a masochist? Like, what, what are you doing this for? I'm like, look. I'm doing five-minute, you know, hits, they're called, right? Basically, we, we talk about a couple topics. Yep. And I'm in and out in five, six minutes. Kilmeade does three hours of Fox & Friends hosting, co-hosting, and does, then does three hours on the radio. So we're talking six straight hours. So anytime people's like, boy, you really work hard, I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> and as you know, Joe, then our good friend Brian, because he's a good friend of mine and I know yours, he'll be on yeah. Outnumbered. He's filling in later at night for the different programs, Uh Tucker and uh, Jesse and others, uh, even later than that at times. So he, he really, uh, it is true. But like you said, even though you're doing a hit, you've still got to be alert and you're awake and you're in a suit. You know, you don't mail it in. So you're still awake for that. And then you're awake uh, later on. But I know you love it. So that, that's what's important. I got to yeah. hit you right up front with Don Lemon because, boy, he needs a life coach. I mean, who says... <laughs> Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. A woman is in their prime in her 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s. So he decides. One of my favorite comments, and I don't remember whether it was Poppy Harlow who said it or Caitlin Collins, uh, in her prime for what? I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, if he's not, that, that's like poster child stuff for misogyny. I mean, incredible. He's going to survive that, isn't he? He's going to be back tomorrow, it seems. He'll be back on. Uh, he'll be getting some training internally yes. through HR, I assume, which is great. The guy's been there for like 20 years, right? He hosted a show in primetime for almost 10, and now suddenly he has to be trained on how to behave around other people. And the best part is he says that Nikki Haley isn't in her prime at 51. Don Lemon, at last check, is 56. Correct. And I would He's say, five well, years older. Don isn't in his – I'm sorry, go ahead. I, yeah, I, no, I was just, no, no, I interrupted you. He's five years older, as you said. And, of course, Don Lemon has never said anything anything about the president being 80 and i don't play the age game but with me it's biological and chronological it doesn't matter to me it's if they're sharp uh but he calls out a 51 year old that puts her you know out of her prime but i think there's a bigger thing here joe and you're very good at connecting dots here's just a few of the recent uh nasty things that have been lobbed at nikki haley she's been called a manchurian candidate uh she her using her brown skin as a weapon. It goes on and on. This harsh commentary, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Don Lemon, of course, and others uh, on that panel on MSNBC. Uh, she's, as you know, an ethnic minority and a Republican analyst, a Republican candidate would absolutely be just eviscerated. But they seem to be able to do this. Remember when Tim Scott was called some terrible name? Uh, he was called a white supremacist somehow. Uh, so what do you make of this, that they can say anything they want, basically? 
when Clarence Thomas was called uh, Uncle Clarence, right, yeah. in reference to Uncle yep. Tom, yep. Uh, they, could, they could get away with it because the media reporters that are supposed to speak truth to power, right, uh, only concentrate on watching Fox News. And you could say anything you want on CNN or MSNBC and basically get away with it. And there aren't the soaring editorials in the New York Times and Washington Post talking about how this is such dangerous sexism when it comes to Don Lemon. And to your point, uh, he never made that point about Kamala Harris when she said she was running for president at an older age than Nikki Haley or about Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren or anybody else like that. So he survives here because Don Lemon checks off several boxes, uh, which make it make him more difficult to fire. But I think ultimately he's one more strike away from from being let go, I would think, because clearly he has shown that after hosting a show in primetime for the past nine years alone, he had two hours. He's the lowest rated of anybody in primetime in major cable news. He can't share a stage with anybody. His ego does not allow it. And it's almost as if he's trying to get fired at this point. Because as you know from doing early morning radio, maybe Don doesn't like getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning every day and then sharing a stage on a show where maybe 300, 400,000 people are watching. I mean, Fox and Friends gets, what, 1.5, 1.6 million, just to put that in perspective. So, yeah, he'll survive. And uh, I don't think it'll be a survival for too much longer, though. I think that Chris Lick looks foolish here. Either way, he's Chris Lick. He's the president of CNN. And he was the former showrunner for Stephen Colbert. And then we put him in charge of an international news network. Yeah, great move, because the moves he's made to this point have shown he's clearly in over his head. Joe Concha on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Let's turn to Pete Buttigieg, because I don't think we could find a, a, a lesser qualified cabinet secretary. No background. It shows abject failure with the airline industry stuff. I mean, my goodness, he has finally written a very strongly worded letter to the White Star Line over here about <laughs> about what's happened uh, in in, uh, in East Palestine he, he will get there. I know you're all over this, Joe. He will get there at some point when the time is right. But what, what are we talking? When, when is the time right? And by the way, Joe Concha, why did yeah. it take FEMA two weeks to get there? Harry, it's so funny. I, I'm writing my book uh, today, and I, I, I did about 3,000 words, and I used that exact line when I was talking about how Democrats are no longer the party of the little guy. The little guys like in East Palestine, Ohio, where the average median income is something like $44,000 per household, right? So that's way below the national average, which is about $70,000. And I use that exact line, which the White Star line, of course, you're referring to the movie Titanic. Yes. And there's Leonardo DiCaprio, and he should be on that door with Kate Winslet. But, oh, no, she's going to keep it all to herself. And then he's on the verge of death and still somehow keeps his sense of humor. And he says, I'm going to write a sternly <laughs> worded uh, letter to the White Star line about this. Uh, that's exactly what Pete Buttigieg does. He fails the Woody Allen test. What, what did Woody Allen once famously say? 90% of success in life is showing up. And whether it be ports during the supply chain crisis when he was on maternity leave for two months or when the FAA completely broke down and, and we had airlines having people sleeping on floors on Christmas during that particular time, and he's putting up Christmas photos with, her, with his husband and, 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 uh, and babies and not doing anything about that. And now, obviously, here we are almost three weeks later, and he's saying, I guess I'll get there when I get there. Uh, he has been an abject failure, like on a Alejandro Mayorkas, Kamala Harris-type <laughs> level. And so he's true. supposed to be the future of the Democratic Party. But now that he has this on his resume, 
I don't know if he's going to survive this in terms of being a guy who he's people say, you know what, he could run the country. Uh-uh. He can't even run the transportation department. He could run South Bend. So that's where that's we are right. Point with that, that's why they called him Pothole Pete. He never could even yep. fill a pothole in South Bend, Indiana. And I've heard you, I've watched you say it on Fox and Friends first and elsewhere relative to uh, the fact that he's not up for this. He's nowhere near up for this. And it's amazing. As of just a couple of weeks ago, he was leading President Biden in New Hampshire. I mean, this is this is incredible. I mean, this is truly losing your way to the top. He went away and I've heard you talk about this and we've talked about it on our program. He went away for a couple of months and no one even knew it. Yeah, but he didn't tell anybody. He didn't announce it. Politico finally contacted his office October 2021 and and uh, and said, oh, where is the transportation secretary? And they said, oh, yeah, we meant to tell you he's been on maternity leave since August. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> two months? And it's not like, you know, my wife had C-sections and it takes time to recover from that. And I get taking maternity leave for a couple of weeks after you have a baby. But when you're a senior cabinet member and there is no actual pregnancy involved here where somebody's recovering and you need the spouse to help. I mean, it's just the audacity on this guy. He's an elitist. He's always been an elitist. And I just don't see how anybody can look at this objectively. And and why was he even nominated in the first place? Remember, he backed out of that presidential uh, election in the primaries after beating Joe Biden in Iowa and New Hampshire, right? Did better than he did there. And then just out of nowhere decided to drop out. And that's because he was promised something. And while he should have been, you know, made ambassador to like Portugal, instead you put him in front of, uh, in charge of a department that the budget's nearly $300 billion. You have 60,000 employees after he ran, again, South Bend, friggin' Indiana, which <laughs> is dwarfed probably by this uh, department. So this is where we are at this point. Everything's a diversity hire, whether it's Kamala Harris, whether it's Pete Buttigieg, and you could go down the line instead of just putting in the most qualified people to do the job. And now this country and the people of East Palestine will tell you that we're suffering at this point because of it. Joe Concha on The Guy Benson Show. Corrine Jean-Pierre makes... Speaking of. <laughs> yes, who I think we both agree is the worst press secretary we've ever seen. And yeah. I, I just say that not with any joy, not, not with anything other than intellectual honesty. She fumbles through that binder. It, it, it's just awful. It, it is, is terrible to watch, terrible to listen to. She makes Jen Psaki look like, I mean, the greatest Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. <laughs> uh, so Jen Psaki is going to be getting her own show, as you know, on uh, MSNBC. Tell us your thoughts. Jen Psaki was a decent press secretary in the sense where she could think on her feet and could lie with the best of them, right? I'm not saying she was good because she was truthful, uh, just because she wouldn't have to flip through a binder to find an answer to a question every time it's asked. We've even seen Green Jean-Pierre actually answer uh, give an answer to a question that isn't even asked. She just happened to go to the wrong page in the binder. I mean, it's so painful to watch. It's not like he's she's a spokesperson for, like, Mayor Quinby. It's the <laughs> president of the United States. But, again, it's like, okay, should they have put John Kirby in that position? Absolutely. I would say that John Kirby is actually quite good at his job. Uh, but they couldn't do that because he's a white guy and doesn't check off any boxes, really. So they gave it a green jump here. As far as Saki, why not give her a show? <laughs> <laughs> that that network is not doing well in the post-Matto era. And the audacity of Rachel Matto, by the way, of, you know what, guys, uh, I'm only going to work one day a week now, but you got to keep the name of my show on there still. And, you know, all that stuff, it's like just retire then if you don't want to work, right? We just talked about work ethic. Uh, but uh, as far as Saki, she's 
Not very interesting without Peter Ducey. That I will say. Oh, if she's he, not challenged. So you good. put her like in an environment where she debates somebody who actually can put together a pretty good argument. Then I'd say it's a good show. But it's going to be the usual echo chamber like we see on everything else in that network. So it will be boring because in the end, Jen Psaki isn't the most authentic or charming person. So I, I see this being just in the – it'll be like Simone Sanders. You know she has a show on MSNBC. Oh, my gosh. like 200,000 people watch. It's horrible. And, until you told me, I didn't know. That's how insignificant. Fox News contributor Joe Concha, two-minute drill, Joe. Yeah. And, and let me ask you – this is a, a very – all of it's been serious even though we've had fun with it. A serious question about how long do you think they can get away with telling the media, I refer you to the president's personal counsel, I refer you to the White House counsel. Then you go to them and they'll refer you to somebody else and then they'll say, uh, you know, go to the president's, well, we already did, so now we were told to come to you. And then the next thing you know, you're right back where you started. How long can they get away with this? I guess forever, you know. I, I think this story lost a lot of steam when the documents are found uh, with Mike Pence. Now, yeah. I know all these situations are different, but if Trump did it and Pence did it, Biden doing it, I know that he can't declassify uh, documents if he's a vice president. He certainly right. shouldn't take them when he was a senator. I'd say he was infinitely worse in terms of this situation. But I think once Pence and, and Trump kind of got mixed into all this, it was a it's like drinking at a kegger in high school. Like, oh, you should be drinking before you're 21. Well, everybody's doing it. Apparently, everybody's doing it. So I think the story lost a lot of steam, to be honest. Joe, Joe, I I think you're right. In fact, I know you're right. But even before Pence, and I think Pence is what, like two documents? Then they searched again and found nothing. Even before Pence, I believe once Biden was found with all these documents in the garage where Hunter had access, you know, here, there, and everywhere in the house, and they kept finding them, I think that took away charging President Trump. Because remember, they made it seem like only Trump. Nobody ever did this ever. Now it's like everybody has done it. Yeah, you can't can't indict Trump at this point over this. If you do, then there'll be a revolt like we haven't seen before. And I'm not talking like January 6th type of nonsense, but people will be like, wait, this is a a completely fixed fight. And I think Trump, in terms of his presidential campaign, uh, would be helped by it on some level, uh, as crazy as that would, sounds. No, no, I agree with that. I agree with that because, yeah. remember, they, they put all the documents out on the floor and they took pictures. They, they The New York Times, as you know, Joe Concha, and we're leaving in like the next 30, 45 seconds, they did yeah. a 3D model that I've heard you talk about. That There's been no pictures of Biden's documents. I bet you Biden's weren't even in the folders. What And what did he have them for? He wasn't even allowed to have them. At least Trump can say, like you said earlier, I declassified all these. Biden can't play that. Right. He can't play that. Even though Trump said he did it by thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's kind of ridiculous it. as well. I, don't I, I, I just I, I think 2024 is going to go a lot differently than I'll leave it here because I know you got to go than than people think. I, I think these attacks that Trump is trying to land on DeSantis are beyond ridiculous. Like, oh, you know, he's grooming young women. right? <laughs> or, yeah. they're, they're, uh, or, you know, he closed. He kept Florida closed for too long. Like they're not landing and the nickname's not sticking. And I just wonder if Trump's in more trouble than we realize. And then as far as Biden, no Democrats want him to run yet. Everybody's saying, all right, he'll be the nominee. But I don't know. I, I think things are going to change a lot before we, uh, we we find the nominee. That That's certainly for sure. And I guess we'll just leave it there. I And I, and I think that uh, you can't play round 2.0 of low energy jab, little Marco. That doesn't go the second time out. No, particularly against this governor who has a sterling record and just keeps getting win after win, not just in elections, just the way he's running the state. Uh, the fact that he's doing this on the job as opposed to Jeb, who was already you know retired, basically, right? 
it's a lot. It's a lot harder to land us on Santos, and he has been so smart in not responding. Yeah, and I don't think has. he ever will. I think he's going to go with this whole. I'm not going to smear anybody, sir. I'm going to talk about my record, and that Good will drive to- Trump even more crazy. Good to be with you, Joe. You too, sir. Take care. You take care too, Joe Concha, on the Guy Benson Show. We will be right back. It is the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Christine Wyatt, Dan, yours truly, Harry Hurley, filling in for Guy. He'll be back on Thursday. Big news day, busy news day on the Guy Benson Show. On deck is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, author. We'll get into all that right after the top of the hour break. We're going to close on this. Uh, No one, you could say it, but it wouldn't be fair, and I know life isn't fair, but no one can say we haven't been fair over the last two days about President Biden's visit initially to Ukraine and all of that. We honored it. We respected it. We we applauded it. We commented very, very glowingly about it and also about the president's time in Poland. I think it was wobbly, but he was there. And, uh, you know, we, we said some decent things about that. But I'll tell you someone who's not happy with President Biden And that is East Palestine, Ohio mayor. And in case you don't know his name, you've been seeing him a lot. I know on the Fox News channel, Trent Conway. He is, quote, furious with President Biden, calling President Biden's visit to Ukraine, quote, that was the biggest slap in the face. Because you can understand Joe Concha in the last segment, the Fox News contributor just explained the the economies of scale. You're talking about people that are averaging the amount in a year that it would claw that it would cost to clean their homes of this toxic derailment, this train derailment, and the toxins, the black crud and stuff all over the place. So this mayor is furious with President Biden, and you can read this at FoxNews.com. Dr. Nicole Sapphire is next. It's the Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It is the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back on Thursday. I'm um, just to say this very briefly, then we're going to get to Dr. Nicole Sapphire standing by on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Uh, if you're following the market today, all of it, the, the mounting tensions, global tensions, economic issues sparked a big sell-off. Dow is down about 700 points for the day, and the Dow has just wiped out all of the 2023 gains in one day. If you're following the market, that's your brief update. Neil, Neil Cavuto has the rest. Joining us now on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of her book, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Hey, Harry, I'm happy to be on with you. Well, it's very timely, and I'm very, very pleased to present you as well, doctor. You wrote a great opinion piece that if folks did not see it at foxnews.com, it's an opinion piece titled, I'm a physician and the Ohio train derailment 
has created a serious public health crisis. I am I am just about gobsmacked at the way this has gone. FEMA, two weeks to get there. A transportation secretary that still hasn't been there. Uh, the president that really I don't think has engaged. FEMA initially telling East Palestine, you don't qualify. I mean, I, I, I could go on and on. You, you've written something, though, that I believe connects the dots, is extremely definitive, and I urge guys, listeners, to read Dr. Nicole Sapphire's opinion piece because you, you do, you hit the demarcation line and everything here. So you don't think, these people that are today, two, two and a half weeks later, they're drinking the water because they, I think they've been just so deficient, so incompetent, derelict in their duty that they had to show, hey, we've been telling you you can drink the water, so now we're drinking the water today. What is your take on all of this? Well, it was a little, um, you know, show today when you have the government and other officials who are, you know, taking water out of the municipal tap and showing that they were drinking it, trying to demonstrate that it was safe. Now, you have to, as you mentioned, it's been two and a half weeks since this train derailment. But I think the entire, you know, level of concern can be summed up as what Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, said, hey, guys, Thousands of trains derail every single year. He essentially was like, this isn't special. But the truth of the matter is, this wasn't just a train derailment. This was a chemical catastrophe. And it didn't just affect where the train crashed. And it didn't even affect those in the immediate local vicinity. This is affecting people miles and miles away. Anyone who essentially lives along the Ohio River has been put at risk because of these extremely volatile chemicals. And they did a good job in the beginning by diffusing, and because these chemicals are highly flammable, highly explosive, they did a controlled burn. They breached the train cars. They allowed the chemicals to spill out of the train cars into trenches that they built, and then they burned it off to avoid a massive explosion, because that massive explosion could have sent shrapnel for, for a long distance, and that could have been devastating as well. It could have also caused a lot of chemicals to then go into the air, and who knows how far they would have gone. But unfortunately, we still have to deal with the contamination that was had from the initial spill. Contaminants were spilled. But also, when they did those controlled burns and they breached the train cars, they then allowed the chemicals to go into the soil. And the soil is porous. It's not like it just sat there in a concrete swimming pool. It is now being absorbed into the ground. And so they've already acknowledged that they do have to try and remove that soil. And so they said it'll take some time. They have to remove the train tracks. They continue to, they're finding some levels of contaminant in the water supply, but they're saying that it is such low level that it has been diluted out, that it is not harmful. You know, one of the very big concerns, though, are some people, while most people get their drinking water from the municipality, some people have private well, Mm -hmm. and private well water has not necessarily been tested, and they cannot guarantee the safety. And it goes more than just the drinking water. What about the water people shower in, make baby formula in, feed to their animals? Brush their teeth. It goes much farther. Exactly. It's incredible. Dr. Nicole Sapphire on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. What is your – you have a lot of experience. When I hear them say – because I heard Governor DeWine, I I don't think this has been his – his best moment. I, I, I think he's been wobbly, and I'm a big fan of his. He's been really solid uh, before now. But, you know, he said in the beginning, and it's not like it was two years ago, we're talking two weeks ago, 
he said, I would drink bottled water. So what happened in the last two weeks that we should now drink the tap water? That doesn't inspire confidence. And then the the thing that you said, Dr. Sapphire, insofar as, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you know, a little bit of poison in the water, but it should be fine. You know, I watched J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance, take a stick and just touch the bottom, and I saw this whole rainbow-colored plume of, you know, poison, you know, floating uh, through the water. Uh, It's not just in the soil, as you know. It's in the water. A friend of mine in the area told me that it reached the Ohio River. There's other waterways that connect. Who are they to say it's just a little bit of poison and you don't have anything to worry about? What does your training tell you relative to that? Well, right. Well, we can certainly say that the EPA hasn't had a very good reputation at making that ensuring that drinking water is safe for Americans, which is crazy to think that we live in like the richest country in the in the world. And yet drinking water in many small localities across our country is unsafe to drink. Just look at Flint, Michigan. There's a whole uh, was it 2000 Aaron Brockovich movie because of contamination. So, you know, they don't have a good reputation to go on. And they they have wholeheartedly they have said, hey, we saw contamination in these smaller tributaries. And so they keep stopping and starting them from allowing them to be feeding into the drinking water. They are they are using charcoal and other ways to clean the water. But in my opinion, they did say to go back. They had the residents leave during that controlled burn just in case there was an explosion. But they told them they could go back, in my opinion, far too soon yep. before the they could guarantee that the drinking water was safe, even though they said that they were also testing the air and there wasn't high level of contaminant in the air. When you have people feeling sick and complaining of headaches and other symptoms, you have 3,500 fish that have died, you have local wildlife falling ill, there's still a problem. And while they say it's low level, you may still get some symptoms from it. That is not a safe area, and they need to do everything they can to get America, these Americans who did nothing but live there to a safe place and ensure them safe shelter and safe food and water. Dr. Sapphire, in our last segment, uh, Joe Concha, who you know, he said something that I thought was very important. This is an area, and you cover it in your column. He didn't say this, but you did in your column, about 4,700 people, very small town, uh, below the average in terms of of wages, probably nearly half, only half of what the average wage is. You're talking about an average of $43,000 a year, and they have the the need in many cases for an abatement of some kind because this is in their homes. They see it on the hard surfaces and on the walls and things, Uh, and I agree with you completely. That's why I urge people to read Dr. Nicole Sapphire's op-ed piece, I really think it's, it reads like a news story, though, not an opinion piece, because it's very fair and balanced and objective. It's titled, I'm a physician, and the Ohio train derailment has created a serious public health crisis. I don't think they know how serious it is. They were so late to get there, and now they're trying to make it look like it's much ado about nothing. And I, I'm with you. I thought that was a stunt. Look, in the beginning, they said, hey, you drink the water out of the tap. And, and Governor DeWine said, no, I'm, I, I would drink bottled water if I were you. And so today they drank the water out of the tap. I don't think that put aside many people's feelings about all this. When you see thousands of fish belly up and, and frogs and all these different things. Um, and then I heard this gentle lady. She was beautiful. She said, who's going to buy our fruits, our vegetables, anything? Who's going to? who's going to do anything with us. So they are left 
with an incredible mess, aren't they? Well, they sure are, especially local produce and wildlife, anything that comes out of there, if they do export, I, I can't imagine that people are going to trust it at this point. People yep. are going to believe it is all contaminated. And by the way, one glass of water from the tap, as we saw from these officials doing, is nothing. What about the low-level chronic exposure to there these harmful chemicals? Yeah, you're, okay? like you said, so, you're showering every day, you're brushing your teeth, you're cooking with it. Uh, and, and we're saying they drank eight ounces in a glass. I saw them take a sip. I didn't see them drink a whole glass. I bet you they didn't even drink the whole glass full. So you're right. They took a tiny little bit, but that's nothing like having to live with it. Right. And on top of that, so they were originally first concerned about this one chemical called vinyl chloride, which yeah. is probably the most dangerous that was on that train car. It's used for making hard plastics. It's really everyday. We see it in everyday life, but when it's in this certain form, it is very dangerous. And so because of its dangerous properties, that's why they did the controlled burn. But then when vinyl chloride breaks down and some of these other chemicals break down, they break down into other hazardous metabolites. And so we got rid of one, but we still have many others. And so while it was great to hear we're not finding vinyl chloride anywhere, I'm like, okay, well, I want to hear about all the dangerous metabolites that it broke down into that maybe you're not even testing for in the water and the air and the soil and everywhere else. They need to do a comprehensive overhaul to ensure that this is a safe environment. And in my opinion, it didn't get done before they allowed residents back in. I'm certain they're still working on it, but if it were me, I wouldn't feel safe there at this time. But unfortunately, as you mentioned, those 4,700 residents probably don't have the means to go anywhere else at this point. And I'm with you on that, Dr. Nicole Sapphire. And I remember my former governor, Christy Whitman, who I know quite well, when she was EPA administrator uh, under President George W. Bush. And she told everyone that the air quality, the air is safe at ground zero. And now we know we are still losing Decades later, 20-some years later, we're losing people to various cancers, mesothelioma, all kinds of um, sickness, and, and it's, just, it's just awful. You raised a good point earlier. You said their track record isn't that good. Their track record is one that usually what they say first is exactly opposite of the truth. Well, and the, yes, and you can – let's go back to COVID. Remember at the beginning, Dr. Fauci was like, well – I said don't get masks because I didn't trust that you wouldn't go and you wouldn't hoard all the masks because they didn't want a level of panic buying. So were they saying, you know what, the water's fine. Go ahead. You can live there. You can do that because they don't want people panicking. I mean, at what point can people start trusting what is coming out of the mouths and the intentions of their local officials? It is is concerning. It is frustrating. And I feel for the people of East Palestine. Dr. Sapphire, this isn't fair, but there was just so much to talk about with that that I really wanted to to weigh heavy uh, in on that topic. But I do want to give you about a minute and a half before a hard break. Tell us your thoughts about the COVID immunity study. Listen, the Cochrane Review was a great review. It wasn't any new data, but essentially what they did was they took kind of the existing data and we really compared it to, you know, vaccine-induced immunity to natural immunity, including with Omicron. And ultimately, it's something that I think everyone's kind of come to the conclusion on their own that, you know, vaccine-induced immunity, natural immunity, probably pretty similar when it came to reinfection rates and even severity. Um, It was nice to see it acknowledged, but even though it was acknowledged in the literature and 
maybe some news outlets. It's certainly, there are still people who have just continued to have their blinders on, and they refuse to acknowledge that natural immunity may be just as good. Your coverage on East Palestine, I believe, is extremely definitive and very important. Thank you. Good to visit with you, Doctor. Thanks for having me, Harry. You're welcome. We're going to be right back. Uh, Much more straight ahead. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. It is The Guy Benson Show with Christine White and Dan. Harry Hurley filling in the great. And I say that because he and I, we go back a long time and I have just so much respect for his work. The great Griff Jenkins joining us right after the bottom of the hour break. But every minute on The Guy Benson Show is precious and we won't waste a second of it. This is a very important story. And somebody forgot to tell Congressman George Santos that if you're going to do a one on one interview with Piers Morgan, You better bring your A game. You better be ready and you better have answers. I mean, when the takeaway is, quote unquote, I've been a terrible liar. uh, That's not a good day at the office. Just to give you an idea of how Piers Morgan basically and and he didn't do it um, in a vicious way. It's just so incredulous, the Santos Uh, And I I was saying this to um, our team before airtime. I truly believe if the margins would have been something like a 25 vote, 30 vote or 30 person majority for the Republicans uh, and not so razor thin, I I don't think George Santos would have any committee assignments, which he doesn't. And I don't think he would still be in the people's house. I don't believe it. Uh, But the margins are that thin that this is going to have to play out. But, uh, yeah, quote, unquote, I've been a terrible liar. Dan, let guys listeners in on on some of this. Cut 31. I don't categorize these as mistakes. I think that part of your process, of the cathartic process of redemption, if you like, it's got to start from I've been a terrible liar. I mean, would you be prepared to say that? Sure. Like I said, well, I've been a terrible liar on on those subjects. And and what, what I try to convey to the American people is, I made mistakes of allowing the pressures of what I thought needed to be done in order to this. This wasn't about tricking anybody. This wasn't about this. It's it's yes, it was. no, 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 no. Let, let me the finish. Whole thing was about tricking people. Let, let me finish. It wasn't about tricking the people. This was about getting accepted by the party. I mean, listen to that. So when he says he's a terrible liar, I mean, how's it going right there? That That's just completely incoherent. And that's just a piece of it. Uh, incredible interview by Piers Morgan, and he, he does as he always does. He gets right out of check his work um, on, on the Fox digital platform as well, uh, Fox Nation, which uh, we are a member. I'm, I'm a founding member, actually. I've got the, uh, the gold coin to prove it. Morgan uh, also was able to share and get out of him that Santos was going to actually do the interview with Don Lemon. And again, if he had a life coach, I would have urged against that as well, uh, because that probably would have been terrible, terrible for him. But he decided to cancel that and go with Piers Morgan after Don Lemon made the widely publicized comments that we've been talking about here 
over the past couple of days. With, I mean, you just have to say they were misogynistic and 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 beyond. I mean, just incredible what he did. So he didn't go with Don Lemon. He went with Piers Morgan. Uh, I don't know that he can make it for the full two years. There's a lot of investigations going on, not only internal, but external investigations. And there's just a lot here. I don't think he's going to make it. You know, some people thought he'd make it to two years, then just get defeated in a Republican primary. And then that would be it. I don't think he gets. um, I mean, you got to figure this is a couple of months in of a two year term. I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. When we come back, Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel correspondent, will be joining the program. We'll be talking the border and more on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back on Thursday. It is The Guy Benson Show. On The Guy Benson Show, Newsmaker Hotline is my longtime friend, the very talented Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel correspondent who's done tremendous work in really doing what only a couple of people really have done for the whole country. I mean, the media, for the most part, and I believe it's on purpose, they've taken a dive and they've left Griff and his colleagues to do the heavy lifting, uh, Bill Malusian and others uh, that have done such a fabulous job. Griff, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Good to present you, my friend. The great Harry Hurley. It is always awesome to join you and Christine and Dan and Wyatt. You know, <clears throat> you're very kind, overly kind, too kind in that intro. But, you know, it is an interesting thing that what began in the spring, literally March of 2021, so two years ago, which was just a trip to the RGV because some yep. Border Patrol agents have known for 10 years said, man, you got to get out of here and see this, that then led a few months later to build illusion in a helicopter with tens of thousands of Haitians crossing into Del Rio. It's never slowed down, and it's really uh, taken stock in, in next month in March. It's been two years that literally we've had a, a, an open border, the likes of which we've never seen. And with a few exceptions, most of the mainstream media uh, ignored it. It's true. I remember you in the water, uh, also playing the role of interpreter uh, <laughs> and, and learning you know, incredible things at different points during all of this. And then when the eye is a little bit more, and I I do attribute you and Bill and Fox News for doing this and flying the the Fox News drone and showing what could no longer be denied. The truth had finally become self-evident. So a little bit more attention being paid on the southern border. So what do they do, Griff? The migrants are sneaking in now from the north, uh, sneaking in from Canada, or as KJP would call it, Canada. Uh, So tell us what's (laughs) happening there, Griff. Well, you know, it's it's a great question, Harry. And, <clears throat> you know, I had a, a senior producer when I was just up this past weekend doing a little anchoring here and there. He was anchoring Fox and Friends first, by the way, when Joe Biden landed in uh, Kiev. Yep. But um, the senior producer said, Griff, why is the Swanton border sector up in Vermont and Maine up 845 percent? I said, because if you look at the Border Patrol chief, Robert Garcia, from the Swanton northern border sector, he said last week there was 115 migrant encounters. Now, that 
you know, pales in comparison to the thousand that you got last week in various areas like RGB and Del Rio. But of those 115, they were from 12 different countries. Now, that tells me that the cartels, which literally has been turned into a, a travel agency for their profit, are flying people to Quebec into Montreal mostly, I believe it is actually, and they just come down. And a large number of them are Mexican nationals because, unlike other countries, Mexican nationals are sent right back across the border. And so now they know, hey, all i got to do is fly to Montreal and go to the U.S.? Sounds great. I'll do it. It's interesting. I'll add one more thing. Just in the last few hours, Harry, the administration announced that they're going to start a new uh, uh, asylum restriction program come May, early May, which should coincide with the expiration of Title 42, which we expect on May 11th, where they're going to implement a policy that essentially will say, if, hey, if you want to claim asylum, but you cross illegally between the ports of entry, you may lose your right to do so. You've got to do it on the CBP-1 app and do it the legal way instead. That was a surprise to me. I, I kind of had heard rumors it was going to happen, but it's an effort by this administration, whether they admit it or not, to try and keep these numbers going down and not continuing to go up. By the way, we already had uh, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, I saw on Twitter, blasting out a statement saying, this is outrageous. So the progressive Dems are, are, are pissed off uh, already, and this thing didn't take effect until May. Griff Jenkins on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel correspondent. Here's my theory. See what you think. It seems obvious to me. The first two years, it was just open border. I know we had Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas saying that the border is secure and it was laughable and unserious. And you know it. You were there often. But he kept saying it. And that's why they're still talking about perhaps impeaching him. We'll see what happens there. But here's what I believe. They're now in full-blown 2024 election mode, and they have to show that they did something. So they want America to forget the millions upon millions that have gotten in and the gotaways, as you have chronicled them for so long. Who knows who the heck they are because we don't know. But we know that some of them have to be very bad actors. Uh, maybe some of them just didn't want to hang around you know, to see how things went, but some of them – took off fast because they're bad people, and they're in our country now. I say it's politics. I say it's the 2024 <laughs> election. And then they want to be able to say, look what we've done. This is what it was. And it'll make that look like it was somebody else that did that, not them. And look where we are now, and we're making progress. I think it's a complete fake out. Harry Hurley, you never cease to amaze me, and I would say you put your finger right on it, and it is about 2024. Why? Because, and I've been in this godforsaken swamp called Washington, D.C. long enough since the mid-'90s. It's always about the next election, and what they're counting on, the numbers are down in January. We knew that. It's down to 155,000 compared to 251,000 in December. This new program that I mentioned could possibly keep numbers down um, because an encounter, if done legally, doesn't count, right? It's the illegal thing that we're we're focusing on. And the ultimate goal are the optics. Biden went to the border, right? Remember? Checked the box. So all I had to do is check the box. Now, get me to this time next year when we are in full campaign presidential mode. 
and if they've got numbers down, they'll say, look, we inherited this. Remember that mess? That mess is under Trump. It wasn't us. Yep. We didn't do anything. The president went to the border, and our policies work. Oh. And it's Republicans that won't give us an immigration bill, so we had to do these policies. And so we're not only the, the winner here. We're also the great savior, thankfully to us. Otherwise, it would be a disaster. And that's how they're going to frame it. You're exactly right, Harry. And Griff, if I wasn't filling in today and guest hosting for Guy Benson, I would have thrown up in my mouth a little bit because you are so correct with that. <laughs> they, they will actually they will have been the ones that changed all the Trump policies that stay in Mexico, everything else that allowed millions upon millions. I don't even know what the number is because I, I don't think we're being told the truth. Even you've been very, very effective at getting numbers that we would never have without your work, Griff Jenkins. So it's a lot, 5 million, who knows, 7 million, who knows what the number is, but it's many, many millions, and you're right. Now they'll say, we're fixing what the other guy broke, and look, we have results. It's nauseating, but it's exactly how it would go. Here's another, I'll, I'll put this in your portfolio as well, another thing that you spent a lot of time studying and, and learning all about, and that is the war Russia versus Ukraine. Today we hear uh, Vladimir Putin say uh, certain things, blaming America for the war. President Biden in Poland at the Poland Palace talking about ramping up even more sanctions against Russia. What's your take at the current circumstances? Well, you know, Harry, uh, and you're right. I spent three months in Ukraine. I did the only sit-down interview in the palace with Vladimir Zelensky, and he really did impress me. And, you know, obviously uh, here by, I think, believe it's Friday, is the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion. And, um, you know, this is a really interesting situation because I believe in, – and again, I was anchoring Fox & Friends first – uh, yesterday morning when Biden landed. And I will give President Biden every bit of credit. It is a dangerous thing to do. And it certainly uh, sent a message to Putin. And make no mistake, Putin is under tremendous pressure within his own country to deliver results around this one-year anniversary. He's on his third war commander, and it's not going well. They're now sending in these, you know, emptying the prison, sending in these criminals in, in the Wagner Group and everybody else. But at the same time, of the $113 billion in aid, half in weapons, the other in, in a, a just monetary standpoint, you, you hear some of the voices from East Palestine saying, wait, why are we sending all this money? Why did the president go over there? Why can't he come here? There are other conservative voices uh, criticizing the administration saying we're spending so much in Ukraine uh, but not enough on our southern border. And, and those are valid arguments, and I think it's arguments that we need to have. I remember, look, next month will be 20 years since I was Ali North's cameraman during the invasion of Iraq. I was in Iraq in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, and went back in 2016 with Ali. And, you know, mission creep, losing track of money we're spending, throwing stuff out there – is always a problem. It was a problem in Afghanistan. I remember it well. It was a problem in Iraq. And, you know, it's going to become mission creep in terms of sending stuff. We don't know where it is. We don't have accountability. We're sending too much to Ukraine. That said, I will stand firmly behind the side that says we can't turn our back. We've got to do what we need to do to help repeat 
the, the, the dark history of 60 years ago. Putin is not unambiguous about his intentions. He's not going to stop in Ukraine, and he has a long bet that Americans will eventually lose interest and lose failure, failure, uh, favor. And I, I just I, I worry, you know, that, uh, that that the administration really wants, obviously, tremendous credit. and They're getting it for this trip. But at the same time, I wonder, as we get closer to 2024, since you mentioned the, the presidential election, if it becomes a divisive issue amongst Republicans and conservatives, when, you know, there is a a sort of uh, adult view we've got to take of this in terms of the world history view, which is we cannot uh, turn our back and, 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 and foolishly think that Putin isn't a threat to us. I agree completely. And then there is the law of unintended consequences. I, I know for a short while there'll be a glow. Probably President Biden's numbers will go up. I mean, they played it up as big as you could. They really underplayed the fact that we told Russia in advance that the American president would be there. I think that should have been, you know, in the lead, not buried. But I agree with you. And I I have spent the past two days here filling in for Guy saying positive things about what the president did, because he did go uh, into the war. Uh, He didn't have his usual military and other support. It, It was a very good thing. He promised as the American president additional half a billion in aid. So there were a lot of things to, to congratulate. But at the same time, when I say the law of unintended consequences, you now have China more and more in alignment with Russia. So now I believe we're in a proxy war with China. So does Gordon Chang and others, yeah. uh, because it's now us in Ukraine. It's like a WWE tag team match. It's it's America and Ukraine against China and Russia. And then you throw on top of that Today, Vladimir Putin announces the suspension of the only remaining major nuclear treaty with the United States, and that, as you know, is the New START Treaty. So there are all these other things that are now escalating this. So it isn't just congratulations for going today. This is now getting ratcheted up, I would say, several hundred degrees. Do you agree or disagree? Well, I mean, listen, uh, I, I would agree with you uh, largely because, you know, history also has shown us that trade wars lead to kinetic wars. And we have our two biggest foes uh, partnering up, which is never a good sign. I, I, I'm not so sure they weren't already uh, uh, bedfellows, but this certainly yeah. has changed the course. And, you know, the the thing that's so terrifying about China and she is that unlike the invasion of Ukraine, of, uh, of, of Putin into Ukraine, the invasion into Taiwan, listen, every computer in your studio right now, every computer at Fox News and all over the world runs on chips. Yep. And the stakes are higher there. And so you talk about a trade war escalating into a kinetic war. It's going to go lightning speed if China goes into Taiwan. I'm not so sure they're willing to go that far. However, the partnership with Russia is horrible and, 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 and devastating news because we're also not so sure that Putin is all there. Yeah, and 30 so, seconds, Griff. Yeah. The, yeah let me, I mean, that's yeah, it. I think, I let think, me I share think something in a point of agreement, Griff, because I think this is what you said a moment ago when you said you're not so sure that they weren't with them to begin with. Absolutely true. China's been with Russia, but now you have it so openly. It's like the Batman villains are all aligning together. Uh, The president 
for life, Xi of China, has announced that he'll be visiting Putin, you know. And so this is at a different level, I feel. Without a doubt, 100 percent. And the Batman villain is a great analogy, and they're not hiding it now. So you can't put it back in the bottle, and that's terrifying. This visit is why I call you the great Griff Jenkins. Always an honor to present you. (laughs) Great to be with you, Harry. Thanks, man. Talk to you again. Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel correspondent. When we come back, I'm not a fan of book censorship. I'll explain in detail when we come back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. It is The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with Christine White and Dan Guy. will be back on Thursday. Quick comment about East Palestine because Neil Cavuto just reported on the Fox News channel. And my goodness, two and a half weeks later, they've opened up a health clinic. I mean, this is a town of 4,700 people. That's nothing. These services should have been raining from the sky days, weeks ago. So we'll say at least the clinic is open now, two and a half weeks later. On to this topic of censorship. There's an old expression about freedom of speech and and how you test that is that somebody has the right to say something that you completely, utterly disagree with, but it's their right to say it. And then it's your right to then disagree with it. And it's such an important tenet of this free democratic republic, which unfortunately the socialist Democrats are trying to lock us down in so many ways. This is what all a lot of this cancel culture stuff is about. They want to get you tied up in knots where you're afraid to, to speak your mind. They wanted to make it a crime if you have a disagreement with, with someone that they say uh, now is a criminal defend, offense for you to say something about them. And we see in the schools where they're changing the textbooks, rewriting the textbooks and all of these different things, teaching age inappropriate things, all kinds of stuff. Now we learn that these iconic books that are written by Raoul Dahl, uh, books like James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, everybody listening knows all of these books. They're not just making subtle changes. And why would you make any changes? They are making hundreds of changes to some of these classic children's books. It's wrong. We've got to stop these people. They want to take movies that have been around and make them go away. They want to just continue to do what they basically look at as minor departures from your civil liberties that are so incremental that you don't even notice it until it's too late. It's like the frog in the pot. Frog gets in the water. Whoa, this is great. Then all of a sudden, hey, this is fantastic. Then it's like a jacuzzi. Next thing you know, whoa. And then the frog is boiled because that's how they do it, incrementally. When we come back, Liz Peek, Fox News contributor and columnist for foxnews.com. A lot more straight ahead. This is The Guy Benson Show. Stay with us. clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. 
Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy Benson, who will be back on Thursday. Joining us on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is Liz Peek, Fox News contributor and a columnist for foxnews.com. Liz, it is great to welcome you to Guy's program. Thank you very much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you. Same here, Liz. So let's start with the 2024 GOP primary field. You and I have talked a lot about President Trump. So let's start with the only other Republican declare officially declared. We know there's going to be a bunch of them, but the only officially declared opponent right now, and that is Nikki Haley, former governor of uh, the great state of South Carolina, former uh, ambassador to the United Nations. She comes out and she has to endure Don Lemon with his a woman. She's out of her prime. A woman is in her prime when they're in their 20s, 30s, and maybe 40s, he said, not even giving 40s a definitive, but maybe in the 40s. I love when one of his uh, co-hosts said, "Uh, out of her prime for what? I mean, just outrageous. So we know how that's all turning out. He gets to come back to work tomorrow and and gets to go to sensitivity training. You've got these hideous people on some of the other alphabet, Democrat socialist channels, MSNBC and others, calling her things like – using her brown skin as a weapon, just a Manchurian candidate, horrible things. Why do they get away with, Liz, smearing African-American candidates who are Republican, female candidates like this who are Republican? Why do they, get, why do they think they can do this with impunity? Well, it's a good question. I I mean, the obvious answer is there are more of them than there are of us. And they just don't they don't really get punished in any meaningful way for this incredible racism. And that's really what it is. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, And and it's offensive. But the good news is I don't think a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to what Don Lamone thinks about Nikki Haley. Certainly Republicans aren't. Uh, They're not listening to Joy Reid or whoever else has been so smugly horrible about this woman. But I got to tell you, it is not just Nikki Haley. As you point out, it's any person of color who dares to cross party lines and avow conservative uh, principles. They just get smashed. And the reason is, I think, and I think the reason is, uh, well, there are a number of them. Number one, they can't stand anybody who challenges their narrative of oppression and discrimination and hopelessness and grievance. And that is really all they have to offer uh, bland, black and brown people. Yeah. If, if you are not mad at everybody because you have been oppressed, you are not on their team. So someone like Tim Scott, someone like Nikki Haley, who has worked hard to elevate themselves, who took education seriously, whose parents worked like crazy to put them ahead in life. They can't tolerate that because it just demolishes their entire argument about why black people should vote for Democrats. Because here's the real secret. Democrats have done nothing for black and brown people. And I think, you know, every now and then someone comes along a Democrat who says, well, wait a minute, you know, what about education? You don't educate our kids. The obvious wrong of any ladder of opportunity is education. And if our inner city schools are failing our kids, which there is no doubt is true, then what are you doing for us? I mean, it's really uh, and then and then on crime, you know, you have the progressive left in this weird kind of out of body decision 
that it's a good idea to let criminals go free, uh, to lessen the punishments for bad behavior. And who does that hurt? It really doesn't hurt your neighborhood, probably, or mine. And and more and more black people are saying, hold on, this hurts my neighborhood. I want more cops. I want more safety. I don't want toddlers getting shot on the street because gangbangers are not locked up and thrown away the key. That is really true. So you have two strikes, crime and education. And if Repub- and boy, is this visible right now. And by the way, what's it causing? It's causing a black exodus from blue cities and states. It has been absolutely the case that black families are moving out of New York, for example, because it's not safe and they aren't getting their kids an education. They're not stupid. They see what's happening. Uh, and yet, you know, Democrats are completely indifferent to this. It's true. Important analysis by Liz Peake, one of the best in the business, Fox News contributor, a great foxnews.com uh, columnist as well. Please check out Liz's uh, digital platform. I mean, she's just tre- tremendous on air, on screen and uh, in print. I want to add to this and you sort of said it, but I want to put a face on this. Remember President Biden in the uh, 2020 election he is interviewing with Charlemagne the God, yeah. and and he, and you know where I'm going, and he and he says, if you don't know, you know who you're voting for, then you ain't black. Uh, and yeah. of course, they, they call Tim Scott these these socialist radical Democrats. They call him a white supremacist. They believe that an African American must be Democrat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and sadly, there are far too many black Americans who kind of believe that. So. Joe Biden, I think Donald Trump bumped up a little bit the numbers that the GOP was winning amongst black voters, but it's still a fraction. I mean, and by the way, the only reason that Joe Biden is president is because the black community in South Carolina decided he should be the candidate. True. And they turned out and voted for him. And James Clyburn and all these black leaders uh, made sure that that was so at some point. I got to think, and by the way, I think the Hispanics are a little different story right now, and I think Asians definitely are a different story. Yes. But black voters, uh, you know, the reason Joe Biden has fought and won, astonishingly, uh, to have the first primary in South Carolina is he knows that he will get that vote, that they will turn out for him, um, even if their real wages are going down, even if their kids are still not getting educated. They will vote for Joe Biden because they feel that historically their alliance is with the Democratic Party, even though I would argue, again, very strongly, the Democrats have delivered nothing for black Americans. Totally agree. It's absolutely true. Liz Peake. Now, it's interesting because two weeks ago now, Mayor Pete has had a very uh, bad couple of weeks. I mean, now he's saying, you know, (laughs) I, I wrote a very strongly worded letter to the White Star Line and I'll go there when the time is right. How about two and a half weeks after these people have been devastated? When is the time right? He's so incompetent, it's unbelievable. And two weeks ago, he led the incumbent president of the United States of his own party in New Hampshire, where he beat him before, by the way, as you know. And, I mean, that's showing how weak, weak our incumbent president is. And let's talk about him for a moment. Uh, President (laughs) Biden in Ukraine, President Biden in Poland, President Biden not in East Palestine. It is a split screen sort of situation yeah. as I see it. What's your analysis of that, Liz? Well, I honestly I still do not understand why it took the White House so long 
to respond to what was really a horrific accident uh, with this train overturning. I don't understand it. I mean, uh-huh. a week went by, okay, maybe, but two and a half weeks, two weeks certainly before the White House had any kind of message for the people of this small community uh, who were breathing toxic fumes and whose pets were dying. I mean, honestly, I thought it was appalling. And yeah, I think I think that, as you say, the split screen did not work on Joe Biden's no. behalf. I mean, people are giving him credit for going to a war zone. I do think I have to insert my, <laughs> my sort of hilarious uh, the, the fact that, you know, he arrived there and CNN reporter and I think NBC reporter both said we've been here five days. There's not been a single siren, no explosions in this city. And all of a sudden, Joe Biden has this sort of choreographed walk around and the sirens go off and no one pays any attention. I mean, it was pretty hilarious um, and fake. You know, everything about Joe Biden is fake in my view. But anyway, uh, people are giving him some credit for going and, you know, having a stern speech about Vladimir Putin. But, yeah, I mean, people at home are saying, well, wait a minute. First of all, I think Congress has now committed over $110 billion to Ukraine. I mean, this is a staggering amount of money. Uh, Only recently have we sent in, which you may have seen, maybe maybe the Financial Times, somebody did an article about how we actually are sending in overseers now, uh, people on the ground to make sure that it's not ending up in Swiss bank accounts. That's nice. but I think at some point, Americans are going to begin to wonder, OK, we all hate Vladimir Putin. He's a really bad guy. We don't want him to overrun Ukraine. What is the game plan? What are we doing in Ukraine? How are we going to win? Because I got to tell you, I am of a certain age. I remember Vietnam. And the problem in Vietnam is we had no will to win. Yep. And I see exactly the same thing happening in Ukraine, where we're just feeding money, feeding armaments in there. Uh, But we don't really have a plan to win. And, you know, it's all this sort of accommodating Vladimir Putin because, oh, my gosh, we're so scared he has nuclear weapons. Then what are we doing? And doesn't Liz, doesn't it also place us in a proxy war with China and Russia? So that gets dangerous. It allows Putin today to say, hey, we're out. We suspend. We're out of the only remaining major nuclear treaty with the United States. We are out of the New START treaty which means now he's going to do whatever he wants. Is that a big deal? Um, to me, none of these nuclear treaties are a very big deal because uh, usually Russia cheats on them pretty enormously there you go. anyway. Yep. And, and, and we secondly, follow it. We follow it and we get cheated on. Yeah, that's right. exactly. All, all these international agreements almost always put America at a disadvantage so, frankly, I, I read that and I wasn't particularly impressed one way or the other. And by the way, we both both sides have gigantic stores of nuclear weapons. It's, I mean, if there's a nuclear confrontation of any kind, we're both dead. <laughs> you know, I don't really. And I mean, I'm, I don't mean to laugh because it's funny, but it's kind of true. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're I think it's 50 shades of gray. Everyone mm-hmm. is nuclear armed. It's a dangerous world, yep. uh, and and we have yet to figure out really how to bring Putin to heel. And the more he is cornered, the more dangerous he becomes. I don't have the answers. I hope these clowns who are shooting down every balloon that costs twelve dollars in there the sky go. with four hundred thousand dollar missiles have a better plan. But I got to tell you, my confidence in that is waning. Exactly. Minute and a half left in our time with Liz Peak, which I regret. 
let's take a peek at this potential field. Uh, and I'll say versus President Trump because he's still the overdog. Uh, obviously, sure. DeSantis is looking strong. Vice President Pence is probably in. DeSantis is going to be in. They're going to redo the the law in Florida where because if he if he declared today, he has to leave governor. So they have to fix that where he can be governor and also run. Uh, governor Yunkin of the Commonwealth of, of, uh, of um, Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Larry Hogan, former governor of Maryland. Uh, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire. Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas. Francis Suarez. We'll see if that happens. Mayor of Miami. Governor Greg Abbott. He was just talking on the Fox News channel. Tim Scott. Uh, Mike Pompeo. Christy Nome. Ted Cruz. My friend uh, Chris Christie. And Nikki Haley is declared. You know the Republican rules. Isn't this exactly what President Trump wants? A clown car with 15 people, 12 people, whatever that list that I just read off is. And it's winner take all in the Republican primary process. It's not like the Democrats. They don't apportion. You win with a plurality. You win them all. Uh, What are your thoughts about that comment and the potential field? Final minute. Well, I I think uh, DeSantis is the most a real competitor for Donald Trump at this point. He is gaining ground, I think, all the time. I think Trump is losing ground steadily. Uh, Their first one is is still New Hampshire, uh, Iowa, New Hampshire. And I think DeSantis will win New Hampshire. So uh, he starts strong. Whether, as you say, this enormous crowd uh, facing off against Trump will play into him winning, I don't know. But I got to tell you, Trump versus Biden, if that's the way it turns out, will have the lowest turnout, voter turnout, in decades, and yet I'm not sure Trump doesn't win. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think Trump would win only because of the horrifically bad president that yeah. Biden has been, and it's not a pandemic election at that point, and Republicans, I think, are going to learn how to participate with early voting and the vote by mail where they've been getting their clocks cleaned. I mean, there would be Jack Chitterelli, governor of New Jersey, if Republicans knew how to do vote by mail and the early voting. Uh, I like what you said. I agree with what you said. Uh, I think President Trump will lose New Hampshire. And it's interesting, if you say that it's going to be DeSantis, that means he will beat the governor of his own state. But you know how that goes. Nikki Haley, I think, is third or fourth in South Carolina. So... And I think she is fourth. She's behind President Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Tim Scott. So closing comment. We're almost out of time here. We've got to go real quick. Quick closing comment. I think, Nick, I think Nikki Haley is running for a cabinet position. Me too. Uh, she won't talk about president. Trump at all. They, she yeah. won't. So she, she might be running for VP. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, look, she's been out of the public eye for too long. And um, good for her for going first because that gave her yep. some screen time. Yep. But I don't think she gets there. I'm with you. Liz, great to visit with you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Take care now. You know, Liz Peak. we'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy, we'll be back on Thursday. Might seem like, with all the serious stuff we're talking about today, this might seem like, what are you even bringing this up for? But I'm going to. Because an Olympic legend brought it up, Michael Johnson, who was just phenomenal if you followed his career in the short distances. He was world record setting and really a phenomenal uh, athlete on the track. Never heard of him ever really doing dumb stuff, uh, saying stupid stuff. So Tiger Woods is playing with his pal, 
at the Genesis Invitational. Tiger Woods outdrives the 29-year-old friend, Justin Thomas, and he proceeds to hand Justin, Justin Thomas a tampon. Justin Thomas laughs, throws the tampon onto the ground, and then the two laugh together as they walk away. Tiger Woods brings up, we do pranks on each other all the time. It was just meant to be fun. It's just a prank. And then he did the if I offended anyone type of defense, which I would urge if I was a life coach, I would urge you don't use that if you're going to apologize. It has to be unambiguous. You can't play the if you were offended, it, because that basically instructs that some are not offended and you shouldn't be offended either. It's just a bad way to go. And what Michael Johnson tweeted was, quote, apology starting with if I offended anyone is no apology. But this is Tiger, never been a leader, and he's Teflon, still heralded after all the mistakes, so he's learned nothing. Media focus always on miraculous recovery, never why the need for recovery, quote-unquote, takedown. That is an absolute takedown. I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan in terms of his golf, obviously not so much with some of the other stuff. And when you kind of get forgiven for all that and you're idolized still and you're on the tour and you're trying to come back yet again, don't do dumb stuff. It proves it doesn't matter how many hundreds of millions of dollars you have, you can be capable of doing dumb stuff. I've talked to a lot of women, certainly not a survey, but they're not that offended by this. But it's still not smart. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley, privileged to fill in today for Guy. Guy will be back on Thursday working with this wonderful team, Team Christine, Christine Wyatt, and Dan. Thanks for spending this portion of your day here on The Guy Benson Show. We're going to talk about Ron DeSantis uh, in this segment, and then I can't wait. We're also going to have a wonderful, and it's a qualifier in terms of the happy hour doctrine on The Guy Benson Show. We're going to have a great discussion with Wyatt and Dan about the four-day work week versus the five-day work week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss it. That's coming up next. But on Governor Ron DeSantis, make no mistake about it, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is going to run for president. Unless somehow he's pushed earlier, he will declare sometime this spring. But he's already running. We see it. The the philosophy of his governance is on the national stage. Decisions that he's making at the state level are playing on the national stage, he's already running. What I think is really smart, and let me let me handle one other housekeeping item. There is an important issue, and I don't think it's hard. They've got the majority in both houses, the, the Republicans, but there is an important issue that has to be dealt with. Governor DeSantis really can't declare for president until the Florida legislature sends to the governor's desk legislation changing Florida law Because right now, if Governor DeSantis, when he visited on Fox and Friends two mornings ago, or maybe it was yesterday, it was yesterday, and uh, I think it may have been Brian or one one of the team asked, you know, hey, uh, it might have been Steve, actually. It might have been Steve Ducey. Hey, uh, 
declare now, declare for president now. And, and Governor DeSantis just smiled. If he had declared, formally declared his candidacy, I am a candidate. I'm happy to do it on your show, uh, Brian Ainsley and Steve. Ainsley was out back in today. But I'm happy to do it on your show. Uh, yes, I'm running for president. Guess what? He has to resign as the governor of Florida. He's not going to do that. So they got to fix that, and they will. He'll announce sometime this spring. But what he's doing and not going so overtly going to New Hampshire and to Iowa and looking so obvious, he's going to blue states and he's sharing, say, in Staten Island, for example, which drew the ire of New York mayor uh, who, who had some things to say about it. And what DeSantis has learned is, and he's a Trump protege, you don't leave these things unanswered. Cut 18, Dan. Florida right now has a crime rate that's at a 50-year low. Why do we have a 50-year low? Why is crime a big issue in New York or Chicago or all these other places? And I wish I could tell you that, like, Floridians are just so much better, but it's not the reason. It's not. The reason is, is we support strong policies to keep our communities safe, and we back the blue, and we support their mission, and we back it up with money and all kinds of stuff to be able to do it. Quick translation. He is saying, look how we do it in my state. And when I'm president, look how I will run the executive branch of the United States. You'll, you'll be able to be safe in your community. It won't be like it is now. You won't have to worry about being carjacked or assaulted or robbed or your home burned or your automobile stolen or pushed on train tracks. He's basically telling you that people are moving to Florida, which is true. They're up like one and a half percent in population, and these blue states are way down. We continue, and I'll interpret all of this for you and with you, rather. You don't need it, but we'll do it. Cut 19. Just the contempt uh, with which some of these politicians were, were attacking police uh, was really a low point, I think, uh, in the time I've been in public office. And I look about how that's happened. It has absolutely painted a target on the back of people that wear the uniform. We've seen it in New York City. Unfortunately, we just saw it uh, at Temple. And I think if somebody goes out and murders a police officer, they should get the death penalty for murdering the police officer. See, he's saying that right now federal leadership is weak. What's going on in these Democrat communities is unacceptable. And that if I am and when I am your president, he doesn't have to say that, but he is, uh, then we're going to be tough on this stuff. They're not going to be released uh, five minutes after police officers risk their lives. And he talks about that in this cut. Dan, cut 20. So now you have police officers that have to risk their lives to bring somebody in, bring them to justice, knowing that a judge is going to put them right back on the street in many instances. And two weeks later, you're going to have to take the same risks again to apprehend the same guy that should have been in jail to begin with. And let's continue with that theme in terms of New York bail reform. Cut 21. How is that a good policy? How is that something that is keeping our community safe? New York even made it so that a judge cannot consider when making a bail determination whether somebody is a danger to the community or not. That's the number one thing you should be concerned about when you're talking about what a bail determination is. You see in New York City, in, in Manhattan, 
You have the district attorney there not being willing to prosecute you know, certain crimes, knowing you put this guy back on the street and they are absolutely going to reoffend and they're going to keep committing crimes. So they just want to pass the criminal element around almost like a hot, it's like a revolving door. Who pays the price for that? The public pays the price for that, and the people that have to wear the uniform and try to corral the criminals pay the price for that. What Governor DeSantis did there was he drew out New York City Mayor Eric Adams perfectly, exactly what he wanted to do, so that then he would be insulted by uh, Mayor Adams, which did indeed follow. And that allows DeSantis, as a Trump protege who knows you do not leave these things unanswered, to go on the attack back He knows he's not going to win New York City. He knows he's not going to win New York State. So he's going there with his message into areas where he is surely going to lose, but he's going to get a lot of of, um, earned media, free media, and at the same time, where his voting base is will get jazzed up by this kind of thing. He's going to be tough on what the other side is not being tough on. Uh, Finally, now we actually have two cuts that I want to play, Dan. Cut 22. There should not be any of these woke prosecutors getting elected anywhere in the country at this point. We've seen it. It's been an experiment and the experiment has failed. And there's a lot of people that have been victimized based on this political ideology. We take very seriously our responsibility for K-12 education. And in Florida, our promise to parents is you send your kid to school in Florida, they're going to get an education, not a political indoctrination. And what he is saying is, and he has made this pretty famous, and I think you're going to hear it a lot in this campaign, is that Florida is where woke goes basically to be buried, dead. And finally, Dan, cut 23. You know, the issue was, is is it appropriate to be having classroom instruction on on things like sexuality and gender ideology? Is it okay to tell a second grader that they were born in the wrong body in Florida? We think the answer to that question is no. And what some people don't know is some of this critical theory is trying to teach kids that police officers are just out gunning down minorities with impunity and without without any basis to do it. And they're trying to create a hatred for law enforcement amongst very young and impressionable kids. So you see what Governor DeSantis is doing is he's agitating the left, bringing it to their community. He's not saying this from Florida, from Tallahassee or anywhere else in Florida. He is saying this in their neighborhood. I think it's a brilliant strategy. It's getting him a lot of attention because you think about it, after the great win that he had, record-setting win where he even won Miami, uh, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, no Republican had done that in forever. It was such a great win, but we are in such a fast-moving society that he has to get out there, or he just becomes like the, forgotten. It was it was great what you did, and you did a great job at the state level, but now we're looking at these people. So he's really balancing being sort of a unannounced shadow candidate, if you will. It's a very good strategy, and I agree with taking it to the blue cities, to the blue states, because it gets reported everywhere. It doesn't hurt him there, and it helps him everywhere else. Very, very smart. When we come back, I will be joined by my colleagues, Wyatt and Dan. This is going to be a blast 
And I, I don't know. Maybe we'll even have we, – we didn't uh, – we did the Johnny Carson rule. You don't talk about you know the show before you do the show. I don't know who's going to say what about a four-day week versus a five-day work week, but we'll hear it all together live on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. It is the happy hour, so let's do something. Well, you know, this could get a little not testy between us, but a little bit of a split decision here and there. So it might not be happy, but it's certainly not going to be sad. It's The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan Harry Hurley filling in for today. And Guy will be back on Thursday. So our topic in the happy hour is the four-day work week versus a five-day work week. In many cases, I guess some could say you could do eight eight hours a day, four days a week, and do a 32-hour work week. But most people, when they think about a 40-hour a 40, a 40 week in four days or five days, they think four 10-hour days uh, or five eight-hour days. So there was a study done in the United Kingdom across the pond, and it's one of the more uh, comprehensive surveys on this topic ever done. So they conclude that not only is this good, the four-day work week, uh, they believe that it's it's a good way to go, that most workers would want to stick with it, even though there is a fair question about about absenteeism or turnover or effectiveness if you're working a ninth and tenth hour and things like that. So a lot to unpack here. In this order, you'll hear from Wyatt first, Dan, and then I'll, uh, I'll bat uh, third in today's lineup on Team Christine. Wyatt, your comment about the test of a four-day work week. Yeah, Harry, I, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, when I when I went to Europe earlier this year, they definitely take work as not their main priority in life. It's not like here in America where, where people are, you know, all career driven and it's a you know, it's a major aspect of their, their whole life and their, their daily routine. There, I mean, you could see people going out for like an hour or two lunch and drinking wine and just like relaxing. And then, you know, it's just a different pace of life out there. So it makes sense that this was the study was done out out across the pond. And I don't know. I think it's it's interesting. I don't know if I would necessarily like it. You know, I I do enjoy my weekends off, but I also think, you know, adding another day, I don't know what that would do to my productivity and also. A main consideration, too, is, I mean, hey, in our industry, me and Dan were just talking, you really can't take off. The news is 24-7. Exactly. It never stops. Yes, I agree. In our in our business, but if we talk about this through the prism of many people who perhaps do a job, and it's I'm not saying it's not important, but where they could do the four-day work week, what I thought was also interesting, and Dan is going to have the next word, is that they paid these 2,900 workers a paid day off a week then to see if they could get just as much done in four days as they do in five. And I found that interesting as well. That's quite an incentive. Dan, what is your take on this? Well, I was a little conflicted at first. I didn't know where I stood on it, but I mean, of course, if you're going to work less days a week, that's going to be the way to go. I mean, productivity would be a little down. I don't know. I'm used to five day work week. Um, but I was also curious about where the 40 hours a week comes in and a little bit of a history. I didn't know this. I had to look it up a little bit. It came from the Great Depression. 
Uh, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, which required employers to pay overtime to all employees who worked more than 44 hours a week. And then in 1940, the 40-hour work week became U.S. law. So it was kind of a way, uh, making a shorter work week to fight the massive unemployment during the Great Depression. It just kind of became our norm. So it's kind of just what we're used to in the United States. And I just think I would be okay working the five days and having my two days off in the weekend and working eight hours a day. I just think I'd be more productive that way instead of working a longer day for less days. I really appreciate both of your feedback on this. And maybe we'll have a quick around the horn at the the end. I'll be brief. Uh, You can read more about this in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, You know how to find that, WSJ.com. And the article is titled, After Testing Four-Day Work Week, Companies Say They Don't Want to Stop. And 90% of them said they're going to continue testing the shorter work week out of 61 British companies that that are in. 18 have already said they plan to make it permanent. The four-day work week doesn't work for me either, Wyatt and Dan, for obvious reasons. I'm an on-air talk radio host, and I have five air shifts. I can't take one off every single week. So that's not going to work in my case. But it works in many uh, vocations where you can – and if it's a a seven-day-a-week thing, you could have one person do four days, another person do three days. Maybe you even flip that a bit and put other incentives in. Closing comment, Wyatt. Yeah. No, I think this is totally possible, and I'm I'm sure whatever they do over there in Europe will eventually head over here to the U.S. So Could it be, though – how would you respond to this, Wyatt, that – some things that sell in the United Kingdom don't work here in America. Just a different mindset. Well, yeah, I think it's different culturally, uh, obviously. But I think that usually some of these things, you know, kind of kind of take hold and, and will will eventually come over here. And I think, you know, you'll see how the economy is changing, too, with all these different jobs restructuring and, and yeah. trimming of the fat and some of these big tech companies, too. So I think it you know, you could see different schedules and also working from home. People have been doing that a lot, too. And that's a whole different realm of of work and more flexibility for people. So and many fighting to not want to come back uh, in person. They want to continue to work at home. Actually, even newspapers where people said we're going to go on strike. We want to make a point of not wanting to come back in. You know, there is something to be said for the employer is your boss, is your company. And if they believe you'll be more effective, say you're a sales force, and we believe in-person sales meetings as opposed to Zoom or any of these other uh, video versions. Uh, so there's a lot to be said there. Dan, closing comment from you. I just think, you know, I I don't know. I, I just think the 40-hour, the five-day work week is is the way to go for me. I don't know. I, I couldn't see another way or anything happening a different way. And, uh, you know, Harry, I'd work five days a week with you filling in. You did a great job. We really appreciate you filling in for the show. Ah. And uh, you did a great job. So thank you so much. Dan, you're a good man. Thank you for the kind words. Let me tell you, it's easy. You guys are such an amazing professional uh, organization, you, Christine, and Wyatt. It's it's a privilege to fill in for you when um, whenever you need me. Wyatt, if you had – I won't say it to you. We'll say it theoretically because I understand you guys are too – very important, relevant producers, and you have all these air shifts that have to be covered, and it's a different thing. But if it was the type of setting where you could divide seven calendar days between one or two people and make the the, the four-day work week possible, it's very tempting to have three days off every week. It's like a mini vacation. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's tempting. I would consider it, um, but I also I, – I prefer to always work – 
in studio. I know some people yeah. love to work from home and, you know, like that that life. I cannot deal with that. During the pandemic, it was it was not fun for me. I like to be in the studio. I yep. like to be in the, the office and that's how I like to to do my work. I totally agree with that. I was offered to do it at home with all the equipment necessary to do it. I just prefer, like you said, Wyatt, to be in studio. Christine, Wyatt, and Dan, thank you for the privilege of filling in. Guy, we'll be back on Thursday. Have a great day, guys. I had a lot of fun with this topic. Thanks so much. And we'll see you soon. Keep enjoying The Guy Benson Show. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.